Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, we're into this new series now, uh, Property Core Skills. Today, we're going to be talking about finding deals. But just before I do that, talking about finding deals, um, one of the deals I've been trying to find is a, a deal to acquire a business. And I've probably been alluding to uh, this for a couple of weeks, if not months now, uh, some of what we've been up to. And I can actually safely say that we've acquired the business. It's a co-living uh, rent-to-rent management business based in London by the name of Capital Living, or Capital Living London Limited to be precise, and its uh, subsidiary, the HMO Agent Limited. So I'm delighted to announce that really to you. Now I can say that safely. The the word is out. The the deal is signed. We're actually in the business now and uh, learning all about it, meeting all the people, understanding all the systems, getting ahead around it. It's a bit mind-bending at times because it's all new. You know, one day we're, we're, we're a little bit arm's length. The next day we're actually running the show. So um, and maybe I'll save that for another occasion to elaborate a bit more. But I thought I'd share that with you. It's a um, multi-million pound turnover business, um, 40-ish properties under management, over 250 tenancies or member agreements uh, under management as well, mainly concentrated in southwest London right now. Um, we're looking to expand. So we're actually looking to expand within London and we're also looking to potentially expand into other suitable areas for a, a kind of a co-living model. We've got plans as well to turn it into a full-on co-living model. It's got elements of that, but we think we can take it a stage further. So, uh, you know, we're very excited, actually, about that news. So if you'd like to know more, you can look at the website, capitalliving.co.uk, find out what that business is all about. If you uh, want to talk to me about it and how we did it and, you know, some of the principles, I, don't, I won't reveal some of the financial information because I don't think that's the right thing to do, but I can give you some outlines. I'm happy to have that conversation. Uh, or indeed, if you're a, uh, a property owner with properties that are suitable to be converted into HMOs and you like the idea of a peace of mind, uh, rental guarantee, that kind of thing, then that's what we do. But equally, if you like the idea of the uh, uh, providing you know quality homes, um, room rental for people on a co-living type of basis and you know, get in touch with us. If you have a portfolio to dispose of, if you've got a block that you think might be suitable, um, if you think uh, you, there might be something interesting in another city uh, that might suit this kind of uh, model, then I'm all ears. So there we go. Just thought I'd make that announcement before I dive into the rest of the uh, of the podcast today. And um, yeah, let me know if you want to know more about that. Meanwhile, right, okay, property core skills. So we're in this series, and this is the format that I'd like to um, roll out, really. Um, if you like, each of the core skills, of which there'll be 10 core skills, and there'll be a couple of bonus ones at the end, but let's say, let's work on the notion of 10. The first week, I'm going to go in, in pairs. 
uh, pairs of weeks. And in week one of the pair, I'm going to share some of you know the principles as I see them. Um, just some signposting, not going to go too deep into this. Some of the some of the people on my apprentice program might be going, hang on a minute, I thought you were running masterclasses around these types of topics, and now you're sharing it with the world. Um, but the, the reality is I'm going to be more top level on the po- podcast, and uh, there's inevitably an awful lot more than uh, meets the eye with these topics, uh, as, you, as you'll find out, really, because, <clears throat> excuse me, the first week I'll talk, talk about some in this pair. The first week I'll talk about some general principles. But the second week I'm going to hopefully have more than me <laughs> and having a conversation. It might be just two people, uh, but it could be a small group and having a panel conversation, a panel discussion around the topic that we had the pre- prior week. So in other words, this week I'm going to outline finding deals and next week we're going to have a panel discussion around it. So if you'd like to take part in that panel discussion, either to uh, get information or indeed to give and contribute information, then uh, please reach out. Although, please also be aware that because of the recording deadlines, I won't actually have a lot of time to schedule it. There'll be probably a fixed uh, time and call, uh, probably an afternoon, probably Thursday afternoon in reality will be when it is. So you haven't got a lot of time to join in uh, because of the, the scheduling of the, of the, of the, if I can get my words out, the scheduling of the, the series. So there we go. Um, that's the outline. Uh, let's see how this goes. So week one, finding deals. What are we going to talk about? So really, I'm going to talk about four things, um, where to find them, um, d- deal and pipeline progression, as I call it, deal positioning, and vendor alignment. So um, I've, they're, they're the topics I'm going to run through. So let's start off with where to find them, where to find deals. Well, in my mind, I was trying to think um, how, how best to share this type of information and where to find deals. There's really three main uh, routes to market or channels to market of finding property deals. And they are on market, pre-market and off market. And so uh, I'm going to run through those, obviously. So on-market deals are what pretty much everybody's aware of. And um, by, by definition, it's also the most crowded place to go and find deals. Therefore, it's also more competitive. So I'm talking about primarily the property portals and also auction sites. So this is you know, literally on the market. There's lots of eyeballs looking at um, things like Rightmove and Zoopla, uh, portals and then um, it, it, that's that's including homeowner buyers, of course, not just investor buyers, and then probably more uh, the auction marketplace for investor buyers and developers, in the most part. So if uh, that's you know you're going to find a lot of eyeballs on those deals, um, it's extremely competitive, and as a result of that, uh, you're going to be paying fair market price essentially, in the most part for our market deals. So um, you, you're going to find most of, uh, we're going to find a lot of deals rather, but you're not necessarily going to find the best deals um, on, on market. Now, caveat that, because I'm going to talk about how you can find better deals, which are still on market as we go through this, uh, this discussion, if you like. But you know, certainly um, you know, you're going to find most of the deals on, on these portals. And just a quick word about the portals. A um, couple of things there. There's three main portals, if you like. There's Rightmove, there's Zoopla, and there's On the Market. And it's a bit like um, I, I, sometimes when I'm looking for 
uh, like an insurance renewal or something like that, I go to Money Saving Expert and I look at one of their, uh, one of Martin Lewis's uh, forum posts about how to get the best deal on your insurance. And what he tends to say is, for example, um, just take car insurance, for example. He, he says that if you, you go in layers, so you can cover up to, you know, not necessarily 100% of the market, but a large proportion of the market by going to some of the, um, the, the platforms that are used, you know, go gocompare.com, money supermarket, and then you can pick up some of the, the stragglers with, you know, stragglers in terms of uh, best offers with direct line and people who don't advertise on those sort of portals. Well, it's a little bit similar with property. So Rightmove is by far the biggest um, portal, uh, followed by Zoopla and then by On The Market. And last time I checked, I think they're, they're changing the, the rules, but it wasn't the case that you could advertise on every single one of those sites. There's also Prime Location, by the way. So there's, there's three or four uh, main uh, portals. And if you just focus on one of them, then you're not going to get whole market coverage by definition. But at the same time, if you look at, you know, say, Rightmove and Zoopla, you could also see the same property listed on both sites because uh, some agents you know list on on more than one platform and so um, you know there's an investment by the way on, on behalf of the estate agents who are listing on these portals so that's part of the reason why they don't list on all of them because it takes a lot of money to maintain their membership of Zoopla of Rightmove on the market uh, prime, prime location so they tend to choose one main one and sometimes a secondary one so you know you might find a, a property, an agent who's listing a property on, say, Zoopla and on the market, but not Rightmove. Um, but because Rightmove is the biggest one, probably more so on Rightmove, and then maybe another one. So my tip is basically have a look or have a system, and I'll come back to systems, but have a system that allows you to look at all of the main portals, and then you're probably going to get about 90% coverage if you looked at all four I've just mentioned. Um, so right move, Zoopla, on the market, and prime location. Probably, I, I haven't got the stats to back it up, but my, my hunches tell me you probably get about 90% of what's on the market with those four um, portals. At the moment, I'm talking about residential property. I'll come back to commercial in a second. Um, and you might be thinking, well, what about the extra 10%? Well, okay, so there's two things to, to say about that. One is... Um, 90% is nearly near enough whole of market. So why do you need to go further than that? Um, so that's the first point. So if you're hunting for fairly vanilla properties, let's say a regular buy to let, you don't really want to do much work to it. And you know, you're, you're, you're happy enough to pay a reasonable price and just sit on that property as a long-term investment and kind of it's kind of average or there or thereabouts, then you don't need to go hunting much further than, you know, maybe only one of those portals actually, to find your answer. So you don't have to do that much work. But if you're looking for the best deals, then you want to expand your, your coverage, you want to expand your reach, uh, do the 90%, look at all of those portals. And the missing 10% are a bunch of um, self-listing websites, uh, minority uh, portals that are out there. There's, I, have a, I have a list somewhere actually of all of those uh, DIY listing or self-listing sites to kind of make up the 100% coverage. So if you're a professional uh, investor and you have time and you want to develop a system, then you want to get as deep into the 100% as you possibly can. And that will involve you looking at some of these um, minority sites. Um, and here's the thing, often on the minority sites, there's not a lot of eyeballs. So there's actually less competition. 
And one of the things about a monetary site, which is, say, a self-listing, um, you know, property sale uh, website, then it might actually also be a, um, a clue to a little bit of motivation, perhaps, uh, on behalf of the um, on behalf of the vendor, the seller. So you can go as, as far into this as you you know you want, really. But keep in mind that a property portal is you know there's lots of eyeballs on it, lots of people looking. There's a lot of competition, so you're not necessarily going to get the deepest discounts and the best deals um, here. I did mention briefly commercial, and um, I'm going to just come back. Obviously, if you're looking for commercial property, then look at the commercial websites. Now, Rightmove and Zoopla both have a commercial site, and then you have the Exchange Gazette as well um, that lists commercial properties, and there's a whole bunch of independent commercial agents that you can find commercial property on too. And, and one of the uh, ways, by the way, to potentially get a better deal and I'll come back to this later, is to repurpose from one type of property to another. So, for example, if you repurpose a commercial property into a residential property, you convert it, you, you change the use, and I'll come back to that. But So you could go hunting on the commercial sites for residential property, but obviously then you'd need to do some kind of conversion, you probably need some planning permission, um, and it'd be more of a project, uh, obviously, to do that. So that might be another way to um, improve your odds. And obviously with auction, I'm not a great fan of auction properties in all honesty. I think you can, you know, people get you know, carried away in the auction room and tend to overbid. Um, I've actually recently sold a property myself and um, I, I've been, you know, the, the sale at value was just crazy, really. It just didn't make any sense, but hey, you know, that's what happens. So you get this feeding frenzy kind of mentality in the auction room. And that's not necessarily good for us, you know, as savvy or sophisticated investor buyers to get carried away with the emotion and maybe overpay for something. And of course, if you're not prepared to overpay for something, you can end up kissing a few frogs, so to speak, uh, not necessarily uh, bagging a good deal. But they're the ma there's the main on-market uh, channels, if you like. Now, um, I mentioned pre-market. So the interesting thing about pre-market is that these are literally pre-going on the market. So they're, they're going to go on the market. They're going to be listed on these portals or, or auction sites. Um, but if you can get there early or if you've got um, a good relationship with an estate agent, then, then it can be pre-market. So um, obviously the estate agent is employed by the owner of the property and is honor bound to get the best deal possible. But if you've developed and cultivated a decent relationship with say a local agent, then you might get a heads up that there's a deal coming up that fits your criteria. That's what I mean by pre-market. So you're not necessarily getting any massive favors. It's still gonna be an on-market deal. It's just that maybe you'll hear about it first. And if you hear about it first, maybe you can get in there first, you can secure it, and uh, you know you can get yourself a decent deal um, and, and remove some of the competition by being one of the fastest. So pre-market, but involves obviously developing and cultivating a relationship with the estate agent. And don't forget the other type of agent that it could be relevant here, and that's a letting agent. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, why do I want to go talking to letting agents who are obviously letting properties if I want to buy one? Well, here's, I'll just give you a clue. Sometimes letting agents hear about landlords who want to sell or who want to retire uh, or having problems with a property. Maybe it's tired and dated it and it's not, you know, it's a long void. The, the, there's a number of cases where letting agents can actually, um, you know, un, unearth properties. So don't ignore letting agents. 
Um, so when you're cultivating relationships with local agents, think of estate agents and letting agents. So that's pre-market. So it's just getting to something before it goes on the market. And um, that will get you a slightly better deal, perhaps, or certainly a faster deal uh, with less competition. And then we have off-market. And um, off-market kind of is a bit of a misnomer at times. Sometimes uh, there's properties that are being advertised through a multitude of deal sources, deal packages, and independent agents. And they're claiming they're off-market, but actually being broadcast quite widely. So they are pretty much on-market, but they're just not on the main property portals. That's the point here. And so usually you need, a, some, you need to be on the right list or have the right contact to, to find out about these deals, these off-market deals. And um, we're talking about things like uh, you working with deal sources, um, in particular here, deal sources, deal packages. And uh, there's a number of them out there. Um, I rec highly recommend you only work with compliant deal sources. Yes, you need to be compliant. You need to have insurance. You need to have uh, the right credentials effectively to operate as a deal sourcer. So I'd, I would encourage you to work with the qualified and accredited uh, deal sources. And um, you can also um, work with other people. In fact, let me come back to that one because I want to talk about direct to vendor, D to V, direct to vendor. So that's where we ourselves are going direct to vendors. And you know this this is the tip of an iceberg by saying direct to vendor. We can contact people by dropping a leaflet or sending a letter to a property owner. We could look at the at empty properties. We could look at um, licensed property, whether it's HMO or in selective licensing area. Find the contact details of the landlord and contact them and see if they want to sell their property. Hint, hint. I get a lot of those letters myself, and I ignore most of them. I'm not sure it's that effective, but there you go. Um, and of course, you could meet you could meet uh, owners, um, literally knock on their door. Um, if you see a, a property that's run down, knock on their door or knock on a neighbor's door to try and find out who the owner is, get their details from land registry and make contact with them. You could, uh, it could be a landlord. A landlord is also a property owner and a vendor potentially. You could talk to them. You could meet them at a networking meeting. You could put out Facebook ads. There's a, a whole raft of ways in which you can target off-market deals. And of course, the thing with off-market deals is there's less competition and you can be much more targeted. Hopefully, you can get a better deal. And so you probably, in, in order of sequence, uh, you probably get the, the least discount with on-market and the most discount with off-market deals. So uh, the, the final one I was going to come back to, remember I said I was going to come back to, was network referrals. So um, I, I've used this one to good effect of late um, because I'm looking for more projects. I'm looking for land to develop or properties to convert or blocks and that sort of thing. Um, I get referred to uh, owners of property quite a lot these days. So I don't go necessarily through an agent. I don't necessarily look at a portal. Sometimes I'm being tipped off by someone like a planning consultant, for example, or an architect or a surveyor or even local building control um, you know, those sort of people can actually refer you to properties. So it pays you to network. Um, but this is a different type of networking. This is where you're networking with, you know, people operating the property space. Could be professionals like the ones I just gave you the examples of. Could also be tradespeople. So, and, uh, you know, tradespeople like electricians and plumbers, etc., who who are doing work on properties or perhaps properties that need work and they, could, they, just, uh, they sense that the owner of the property doesn't have the funds, for example, to do the work. So there's a few examples uh, of, uh, of where to find the deals. 
Next up, we've got what I call deal and pipeline progression. And we've got you know three areas I really wanted to pick up here. So we've got deal tracking, deal assessment, and offer positioning. And so let's start with deal tracking. So deal tracking, um, if you, as I said earlier, if you just want a vanilla buy-to-let property and you're going to pay market price and you're not that bothered about things or doing a project, then you know you don't need a, a big system. You're probably going to buy one property maybe this year, and you know that's it. So why do you need to track anything? Um, and that'd be fair comment. But if you're looking for juicy deals and you're looking for better than average returns, then it's a numbers game, quite frankly. It's a numbers game. And in order to uh, track your numbers, you're going to need some kind of system. Uh, and a system could be, um, could be a spreadsheet um, of some description where you just track your deals and what you're analyzing. It could be a CRM system, um, customer relationship management system. There's a lot of good technology out there, which is either free um, or is it always low cost. You've got Podio, you've got a free version, uh, less annoying CRM, which is a paid for version. You can have paid for Podio. There's a, there's a plethora of different CRM systems that you could use as well. But a spreadsheet's pretty good. <laughs> you can uh, modify and customize a spreadsheet to suit your purpose. And there's variations on the spreadsheet theme. Things like Airtable, for example, uh, Norton, these sorts of things, which are kind of have got elements of database and elements of um, um, spreadsheet in amongst them. So have a, have a little play, find one that suits you. Of course, you don't necessarily need a bit of technology. You can just have what I quite like to talk about is, you know, these these sort of files, these sort of they look like uh, accordions, you know, these kind of numbered one to 30, something like that. So imagine a month, one to 30. And each day you have a, you know, you have a, a day's worth of information. We can just have a piece of paper, drop it in day one, drop in another piece of paper in day two, day three, etc. And as you go through the month, you just pull out the piece of paper. You can look at the deals that you've been evaluating and you can do your follow up. Now, this is really important because um, a lot of deals uh, need to be followed up. You can view, you can put offers in, you might not be successful, but if I tell you that 30% of all um, sales collapse, then actually revisiting um, your old deals can actually be an interesting and useful way for you to find opportunities. So it's always a good idea to, to kind of keep track. And even if you didn't win a, you know, win a deal, win a deal? No, I don't mean win a deal. Have an offer accepted on a property, then you can revisit it later. So having a system to track uh, is the first thing. The second thing is then to grade or classify um, your deals. So you move them along, you know, from suspect to prospect to maybes. That maybe you've viewed, maybe you've offered, maybe you've had your offer accepted and you're in convincing, and then you've actually bought the property. So the, the important thing is to track uh, the, the classification through those stages. And if you can imagine a funnel, um, you know, where it's wide at the top and narrow at the bottom, that's what your pipeline should look like. Lots of suspects and prospects. And obviously, you're only winning or, or, or closing on uh, one or two, maybe. Um, depends on how many, what your volume is. But, you know, there's a percentage fallout as you progress along that pipeline. And so having it in a system, having a grading system helps you to work through that. And, uh, and then I just wanted to talk about some of the principles that I tend to work with when it comes to uh, deal and pipeline progression. And the first thing is to say this, that, well, it's a numbers game, first of all. You won't win them all. And um, 
and that's that's right because if you're winning every deal you're offering on you're probably offering too high <laughs> you're leaving money on the table so to speak um, so you won't win them all so have that mindset have that mindset uh, i think people some people say if you um if you don't feel embarrassed about the offer you're making then you haven't offered low enough i'm not sure I subscribe to that i think you know there is a fair value thing but um yeah definitely you won't win them all and the the other thing to say is um, have meaningful conversations. And I'm going to come back to that a little bit later when I talk about vendor alignment. So have meaningful conversations. Who with? Owners of properties, vendors of properties. That's who we really need to have conversations with. And that's another reason why I'm not such a big fan of on-market deals, because on-market deals usually have an agent in between us and the owner or vendor. And it's very difficult to really understand uh, their position, which, I'll, again, I'll come back to if you're dealing with the agent. So have meaningful conversations if you can. And um, and the other mantra that I quite like to talk about actually has come from the uh, Ryan Serhant's book. Ryan Serhant, if you want to look him up, is prolific on YouTube. He's a New York uh, real estate broker, and um, he's good, basically. And he's written a book, and one of the things he talked about in the book was um, the three Fs, and that's follow-up, follow-through, and follow-back. So follow-up is basically, you know, literally as it sounds, follow-up on what you said you're going to do. Follow-up in a couple of weeks' time if you put an offer and you haven't heard anything. Maybe not a couple of weeks, actually, a few days in that case. Follow-through is, you know, do what you say you're going to do. That's on you. You know, just make sure you deliver. And here's the interesting one, follow back. So um, if you don't, if you have an offer that's not accepted and maybe that property's sold, remember what I said about the 30% of sales falling through? Follow back, check back, see if it's fallen through. Uh, you could be well positioned to pick up that opportunity, perhaps later on when maybe a vendor or owner is a little bit more motivated. So that's deal tracking. And then next up, we have deal assessment. So this is, you know, um, again, on the apprentice program, deal assessment de uh, and, uh, you know, running the numbers type of stuff is one of the most popular, um, you know, themes. So I'm not going to get into it too much because it's actually going to be a property core skill. But what you do need in terms of finding the deals, you need to have your buying and investment criteria clear, ideally written down. You know, how much is it? Where is it? What type of property? Etc. You need to know what that criteria is, including what sort of return expectations you have. Then you need to have uh, like a quick review process. I call this the napkin review process. So imagine just you could jot down the principles of a deal, run some quick numbers on the back of a napkin within your head and, and filter out, you know, a deal to yes or no within five to 15 minutes. And that's the idea of this napkin review process. So you don't go too heavy. Um, straight away, but you can kind of filter out a deal pretty quickly. And then if it starts to look like it's going to stack up, you do a full deal calculation. You should have a model that does that. I've got some spreadsheets, which um, I'm always sharing um, book bonuses and podcast bonuses with my deal calculators. Uh, if you're looking for those, you can write in. I'll share my standard calculators with you. But the napkin review isn't the full that calculator review. I mean, I'm, I'm quite quick now, so I can do the full deal calculator review in about five minutes with just some key information. Um, but, you know, for a lot of people, they just want a quick, quick and dirty view. And then if it starts to look like it's got legs, you do a full deal calculator review. And then in a do full deal calculator review, you're, you're doing comparable data and stuff like that. So it takes a bit longer. And that goes on to my next point, really, that you have layers of research. So when you're first looking at properties, like peeling an onion, the top layer is as far as you go. If it starts to look likely, you've done your napkin review, you've done a full deal review, 
um, you know, maybe you peel off another layer. Then you do a viewing. Then you peel off another layer. You look at this sort of transport links and, and the employment links in the local area. You peel off another layer. So you go in stages, peeling off layers uh, in terms of your due diligence. And that also avoids you over, you know, pontificating really on your due diligence. You just, you know, go in stages. And the other principle I've got is good is good enough. Well, people are looking for perfect deals. Well, let me tell you, there aren't perfect deals out there. There really aren't. Um, I've got a scoring system for my investment criteria, and I rarely get full marks. I don't think I've ever had full marks, actually. So um, get used to good being good enough. Don't seek perfection, because you probably won't find it. And the other thing is deal velocity. So I was talking to someone um, recently who I was uh, previously mentoring, and that was some time ago now. And um, they were saying that they haven't actually bought anything. So they've had quite a significant sum of money, which has been sat around for quite a significant period of time. And of course, how much money have they made on that money, which has been sat around in the current climate? Pretty close to zero. So, um, you know, good is good enough is one of the principles I might relate to them. Uh, the other one is deal velocity. So the, the quicker they put their money to use, the quicker they start earning the money. If it's a project where they're going to sell it or pull out some of their cash from refinancing, then the quicker they can do that, the quicker they can move to the next deal. So it's all about moving, you know, moving parts. And sometimes you just need to take a view. You might aim at, you know, I don't know, 20% return on investment and sit there for two years waiting for a 20% return on investment deal to come along. And, and maybe, uh, you know, you could have done two 10%ers in the meantime and, and, and achieve the same end result. So that's kind of what I mean by that. And the other thing to keep in mind is how many deals do you actually need to do this year? Most people, I had a service called Property Deal Tips. Most people who aren't, I asked that question um, as a uh, sort of a survey when, I, when people signed up. And for most people, it was between one and three. Um, you know, and, and most of them were one. <laughs> so if you only need one deal this year, then, you know, good is good enough. Get moving. Um, you don't have to sort of, you know, faff around too much. And the other good principle here is to have a, what I call a peer, a peer deal review. It's not easy to say that. But, you know, if you're not so confident on running the numbers, then get in a little group, get a property buddy and just get them to sanity check your numbers. I had this the other day, somebody was getting, uh, had put an offer in, they were actually going through conveyancing and they just said to me, Richard, would you mind, um, you know, just having a quick look at my numbers? I'm kind of just getting a bit of cold feet here. Am I doing the right thing? There were a couple of good reasons that they were feeling a little bit nervy, but yeah, I was happy to look at that deal and just five or 10 minutes, I was able to have, give them some head, headlights or highlights and, and they felt better, uh, really, just because somebody else, uh, another pair of eyes had looked at it and my, I gave them a thumbs up. You know, there isn't such a thing as a perfect deal, but I was definitely thinking it was the right sort of deal for them. Uh, and, but the other thing I would add to that is know what's important to you. So um, if you've got someone who's doing a peer review, they might have different criteria to you. So it's also important to state what your criteria are and what you're looking for. And so when that uh, person is cross-checking, if you like, or giving their view, they can come from your perspective, not just purely from their perspective. There we go. And in terms of offer positioning, um, really just three things. Um, be credible and professional in how you present yourself always to everyone. Um, submit offers orally. That means you know, face-to-face or over the telephone, but back them up in writing, especially with agents. Um, agents are notorious for, well, no, no I'm not going to say notorious. Um, agents are on a bound, to put it the other way, on a bound to submit all offers to their vendors or owners. So even if they think it's a crazy low ball offer, 
um, uh, you know, if you've put it in writing, they are on a bound to relay that to the owner of the property. So um, hopefully it should get through to the owner of the property, if nothing else. So back it up in writing. And then demonstrate your capability to complete, uh, capability and certainty to complete, um, and avoid that 30% rule. So that means things like having your solicitor lined up. It means having your proof of funds or finance offers in, you know, in place or uh, certainly offers in principle uh, and being ready and capable to move. Hopefully you've got a track record that you can demonstrate and that should set you apart um, uh, across different types of bidder on the property as well. Maybe get you ahead of the game. Right, so I now want to talk about positioning deals. And this is an interesting one because I kept saying earlier on, if you're looking for a vanilla deal, standard-ish type of things. Well, what is standard? What are market averages? Well, here they are. <laughs> the average discount, um, historically, recent history, is about 4% from asking price. Now, in the current market, that actually might be quite high. Uh, you might be you know, having to pay asking price at the moment because the market's a bit hot. Not a lot of stock, a lot of buyers. Uh, people trying to beat the stamp duty um, window. Okay, it's closing soon, but there's a secondary one in September. But over the longer term, 4% discount from the listing price is what people tend to pay. And then, you know, typically in the in the realms of four to six percent gross yield, it can be lower in central London, can be higher in the northeast, for example, but generally across the country, four to six percent gross yield and zero percent value add, funnily enough. Um, what I mean by that is that, you know, a homeowner buyer might go in and put a new kitchen in, but not looking to make any profit. So they might bid up the price because they like the property and then splash out on a fancy pants kitchen. And, you know, the property's worth the total of what they paid for the property and the kitchen at the end of it. There's no value add as such. Um, now, uh, so that, that's my, uh, maybe I've been a bit harsh by saying zero uh, value add, but there's low value add with um, homeowner buyers particularly. So um, what I tend to say is we'll focus on the three Fs. And the three Fs are to force the discount force the yield and force the value. So basically, all that means is beating market average, beating the norm. So a better than 4% discount, for example, is forcing the discount. If you get a 5% discount, you force the discount by 1% extra, you know, over and beyond the market norm. And, you know, well done you. Uh, now, a lot of people tend to get hung up with discount in particular, thinking, oh, I want 20% BMV, below market value. Um, but if you look at on-market deals, 4% is the average. So you're going to be spending quite a long time, probably won't get anywhere actually, trying to find 20% uh, BMV deals on the market. But maybe you can get a 10% discount now and again. Um, and then maybe you can get a little bit extra yield. Maybe you can add a little bit of value. And then you can combine all of those three Fs and get a little bit from each one. And then you get yourself overall a cracking deal. So I'm not going to dwell on that too much, but hopefully it's given you an idea that you don't have to be greedy in any one area. Maybe you can have a little bit here, a little bit there, and a little bit the other. So that's that. Um, the other thing with deal positioning is this. Um, if you are uh, offering a discount, or not offering a discount, your offer includes a discount from the expected asking price, listed price, the property, and let's say it's beyond 4%, then justify your rationale. Um, it may well be that you're a cash buyer, so you that's why you're positioning a discount. It could be the condition of the property requires a lot of work, and perhaps it's being over inflated in terms of price. 
And then you can actually justify your position by saying, I'm going to need to put gas central heating in, I'm going to have to replace those windows, I'm going to have to you know, fix that you know, bit of damp over there. That's why my offer is as it is. And you know that will that will be well received, let's say, or better received, um, if you can justify it. And I'll point to some comparables. If you think, well, hang on a minute, you want one hundred and twenty thousand for that, but next door, you know, sold for a hundred thousand three months ago. So that's the reason for my offer of a hundred thousand because it compares with next door. So explain and justify your rationale with discounting. And then when it comes to um, adding value to a property. Um, you can actually create value or arbitrage value in a number of different ways. What I mean by that, so for example, you could do an update or refurbishment. Lots of people are looking for those types of properties, but you could extend or you could convert. You could repurpose it or change its use. You could develop it. You could gain planning permission or extend the lease. There's a number of ways in which you can create value uh, or change its use. That's what I mean by arbitrage. So convert commercial to residential and you increase its value because residential values are higher than commercial values on a cost per square foot, uh, value per square foot basis. So um, you can create value or arbitrage. So you don't necessarily need to be looking for discount all the time to make money. That's my key point. So that's, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that's deal positioning. And then the next point I want to talk about, and again, I don't want to go too deep into it. I'm probably going too deep really anyway, to be honest, but here we go, uh, is vendor alignment. <coughs> Excuse me. Vendor alignment. So what I mean by this is, is kind of getting close to the vendor. This is a bit of psychology, a bit of you know positioning of yourself with the vendor or the owner of the property. So the first thing to say really is to have direct and meaningful conversations with property owners. Uh, it could be a property owner, homeowner, buyer, uh, seller rather. It could be a landlord, for example. And so having a direct, meaningful conversation with them means literally you need to get in front of them. And so it's kind of difficult if there's an agent in the way. So there's a couple of ways to do that. One is to try and arrange an evening and weekend viewing and agents don't always want to do that. So they ask the vendor to take it. So that's a, a neat little trick. So, But you want to have a conversation with the vendor. Why do you want to have a conversation with the vendor? Because you want to understand some key drivers. And that's my next point. The key drivers, circumstances, motivation, leverage, and their future plans. They're the main things that you're listening out for. Obviously, you don't go in with a clipboard and go, what are your circumstances? What is your motivation, etc." You don't do that. You have a natural conversation. Uh, but you're trying to identify what are their circumstances? What is their motivation for selling? Is there anything you can leverage, such as the property condition, and what are their future plans? The reason I ask future plans, um, quick sidebar, because I don't want to get too much into creative deals in this um, episode. But the reason I ask about future plans is they might be able to position what I call a terms offer instead of a price offer. So price or terms, you know, um, and if I know what their future plans are, that might enable me to put together a terms offer. Terms offer usually involves payment over time or a delay or something like that. And so if I know that they don't necessarily need the money to, to have a linked purchase, for example, then maybe they might be open to a terms offer. But that brings me on to my next point. And my next point is the, the level of sophistication, uh, commercial awareness of the owner. So if you, for example, want to present some sort of terms offer, exchange with delay completion, lease option, for example, um, or rent to rent, talking about the business I, I bought earlier, 
uh, I mentioned earlier rather. And um, well, if they don't, you know, if there's a little old granny and, you know, she doesn't understand these things, it's going to be unlikely that your offer is going to be well received. So um, gauge the level of sophistication um, of the um, owner. So if they're, if they're, you know, if it's commercial property, they may be more sophisticated. If it's a business owner, business operator, they may be more sophisticated. If it's a landlord, they may be more sophisticated. So um, that's what I mean. And therefore, you match your offer to their needs. So you establish, hopefully, you've had a direct conversation. Hopefully, you've established their circumstances, motivation, leverage, and plans. You understand their level of sophistication. Then you can actually present your offer in a way that means something to them because you've found out the information. Now, it sounds like a lot of work, maybe, but if you want to do, you know, interesting, complex, varied, creative, deep discounted uh, deals, uh, then this is what you've got to do. Um, if you just want a vanilla buy to let, you don't necessarily need to do all this. <laughs> and um, I'm coming towards the end now, don't worry. There's um, a couple of points just want to finish off. One is there are, in fact, three sales that you need to secure. The first is with the vendor. Uh, and the vendor may be more than one individual, so I'm going to say the vendor or vendors, uh, but the owners of the property. The second is with the agent, and people forget that. Um, what does the agent want? The agent wants to get paid, but they want to make sure they get paid. That's the most important thing. And so sometimes you can knock out another um, bidder on a property by being the most credible, being the one that's most likely to complete. Um, the agent might be persuading the vendor to take your offer because they themselves think, hang on a minute, I'm more likely to get paid with Richard's offer than Joe Bloggs offer. So um, that's the second sale. And the third sale this that you might need to secure, they don't, they're not always there, but you may not know they exist. And that's the hidden influencer or decision maker. So they may not be on the deeds of the property, but they might have something to say. Typically could be, you know, siblings or um, children of owners or parents of owners, for example, or, you know, who get involved in things or the, the, the significant other who lives with the person but isn't actually an owner of the property. Cup, there's a few examples. So just keep in mind three sales and have your antenna up to, uh, you know, working with those three types of um, decision maker. And the last thing really to talk about uh, today is always go for win-win outcomes. Be ethical in your approach and um, and you're more likely to be accepted. If you're genuine, if you're considerate towards the individual, you're trying to match their needs and you're genuinely trying to understand them, then you can put forward a decent offer which has a win-win outcome and then you're more likely to be accepted and you can sleep well at night as well. So there we go. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've rattled through that. Um, you might need to listen to it more than once. Obviously, you can check out the show notes. I've got a little presentation actually I used to uh, cue this uh, podcast today. If you'd like the copy of the slides, which would just be a prompter, really hasn't got a lot of the, the text in. But if you'd like a copy of the slides, if you want to see the show notes, first of all, go over to the website, propertyvoice.net, or you can write in podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, ask for slides. I'm happy to share them with you. And um, don't forget what I said. So um, this week is the share part. Next week is the discussion part. All being well. Let's see how this goes. So I just need a few people to join me so we can actually have a conversation or a discussion. So make sure you're listening next week and we'll talk about finding deals, but we'll have a conversation about it. If you'd like to ask any questions or if you'd like to maybe participate in that, bearing in mind, I probably need to decide 
you know, pretty quickly after this podcast goes, uh, episode goes live, then reach out to me and let me know. But equally, I'm going to be repeating this format for the next uh, 10 or the next nine um, property core skills. So there'll be opportunity to get involved in future conversations. And I shared what the, the 10 uh, property skills, core skills were uh, last week. So check out the show notes for that. And you probably got an idea about when things are coming down the track and you can get in touch. There we go. So um, I guess all that remains is to say, well, I've already told you where the show notes are going to be and how to reach me. So I won't say that this week. But thanks very much for listening once again this week to the Property Voice podcast. And until next time, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.